Welcome to FRT episode 84. I'm Natalia Bailey of the IF and I'm joining from my home in Arlington, Virginia, right outside Washington, DC. I hope all of you listening have a good start to the new year. The world and the news cycle keeps changing around us, even within a day's time. From updates on the new strain of COVID-19 to vaccine distributions around the world. And here in Washington, D.C., we watch in horror as the mob of President Trump supporters stormed the Capitol trying to prevent the certification of state electors. And now we are looking to the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden. But on to our discussion today, we will focus on the most recent IF report on machine learning governance. I'm joined today by our guest, Rachel Bailey of Lloyds Banking Group, and my colleague and co-author of the report, Dennis Ferenczi. Rachel is Senior Manager, specializing in machine learning in the Model Risk and Validation team. So she's a true expert on machine learning governance and is joining us from the UK. Rachel has also been an active and insightful contributor to our discussions on our most recent survey. A few months ago, she joined us virtually during our roundtable discussion with the Bank of England, where we presented a preview of our findings. Rachel, thank you for joining us and welcome to FRT. Good afternoon. Thank you. So together, we're going to discuss a few of the main findings of our most recent report on machine learning governance. And for those listening in for the first time, for the last three years, the IF has been examining the use of machine learning by our member institutions. Um, we have done studies similar to the one we're going to be discussing today on the use of machine learning in credit risk and in anti-money laundering. And we have also done a few thematic pieces discussing topics such as explainability and interpretability, and also on bias and ethics in machine learning. Before we jump in, uh, my colleague Dennis is going to preface some of our discussion with a few important considerations about the study. Yeah, so um, our most recent machine learning study looks at the end-to-end governance of the development and implementation process. It explores six key topics, including foundational aspects, data and inputs of machine learning, governance mechanism, model validation, model implementation, and model monitoring. It also explores considerations around bias, ethics, and explainability, and the need for strong governance to ensure that models are built and data management is performed with the customer in mind. The study surveyed 66 financial institutions representing a diversity of scales, business models, and geographies, and it's actually our largest machine learning survey to date. It was interesting to see yet again that the share of firms leveraging machine learning continues to rise with each survey that we do. Over two thirds of firms in this survey said they had machine learning models in production and over a quarter have active pilot projects in place. And firms are using the technology across a number of different applications, including credit risk, marketing, compliance, and insurance underwriting. Now, we're very lucky to have Rachel here with us today to share some of her impressions about survey results with our FRT audience. I suppose a logical place to start is around the definition of machine learning. We see that consensus is lacking on a clear meaning, not only globally or industry-wide, but also within the survey respondents. In fact, only one in two had a clear internal definition of what constitutes a machine learning model. Interestingly, we saw that there were some big differences amongst the various regions in the study. For example, the vast majority of American firms have a clear definition, 
whereas ferns in the Euro area and the Middle East and Africa are far less likely to have one. Rachel, how would you define machine learning? And are you surprised by the responses here and the lack of consensus after all these years? In terms of the question on the survey, I feel there's two kind of questions in one there, um, because the question on the survey was about a clear definition of what constitutes a machine learning model and qualifies for consideration by the governance process. So you might have a question there that you could have a clear definition of what applies to the governance process, but that might not distinguish on whether it's a machine learning model or not. So I think the responses may have encompassed a bit of both of those angles. In terms of a definition for machine learning, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, There is no standard definition that I've found. Um, I I wish there were one. We have looked kind of um, externally to try and understand what definitions are out there for machine learning. And these seem to, they seem to sit generally in two camps. One is a definition that encompasses all models, which I'd include what I would term more traditional models in there like, say, your your linear and logistic regression. Um, That's your one side. And then the other side of definitions you get sometimes is specifically models that are self-updating or regularly being retrained. And for me, neither of those definitions on its own um, quite hits the mark. So when I mention definitions that encompass all models, I've got one here from... um, the European Banking Authority that was mentioned on a, a big data paper um, some time ago, uh, which defined machine learning as a process using algorithms rather than procedural coding that enables learning from existing data in order to predict future outcomes. I see that as applying to essentially all models um, that we might look at. Do we need to distinguish machine learning models from my term traditional models. I can see a value uh, for that in terms of our industry. So your financial institutions, I think we tend to be fairly model heavy. Um, We we have plenty of models historically. Um, For example, using logistic regression to build operational scorecards, uh, big big business for financial institutions. Um, If we're saying that machine learning is something new and has some new elements to it, I think we need to be able to distinguish between those those two types of model. Now, it's hard to come up with a really clear definition that draws a line between them. In my, I do have a machine learning definition in my head. Um, I don't know anybody else agrees with it. Um, but in my mind, we've got two elements that can make a model machine learning. The first one is the, the self-updating nature of the model, a model that is regularly retrained with new data. Now, I'm going to distinguish here between a model that's perhaps um, calibrated once a quarter um, from one that is um, being fully retrained. Um, Because I think if you're retraining the model, you're refitting all of those drivers, um, I think that does class as a machine learning model. The second element there, um, in my mind, that makes something machine learning is when you get a very opaque model. And by that, I mean that the model owner can't clearly uh, visualize the model drivers. So if I go back to my example of um, a scorecard, an operational scorecard built with logistic regression, perhaps it's to approve somebody for a loan. You've maybe got 
10 characteristics in that scorecard, 15 characteristics, 15 different drivers. You can sit as an individual and you can look at each one of those drivers and say, okay, does that make sense that that driver's in the model and, and why it's there? And is it directionally correct? When you get to a machine learning model like a random forest, you might have more drivers. You've probably got a lot more interactions. And suddenly you can't do that in the same way. And you need to start looking at explainability techniques. So in my mind, I would class a model as machine learning if it's got either of um, that self-updating element or that opaque nature of the model. Those were some very interesting insights. It was also interesting to see that some firms emphasize the importance of reaching a common definition for machine learning, while others placed far less significance on it. I remember one of the American executives telling us having a clear definition is not as important as ensuring that all models are subject to a governance process that is proportional to risk and materiality. Um, did you have any thoughts on this? Is reaching a common definition a worthy objective that the industry should be striving toward? Do you see it happening anytime soon? I think it would be helpful um, because I, I imagine all financial institutions would like to have a definition to point to that they agree with. And then there's a risk they might customize it a bit for their own purposes anyway. I mean, if we're going to talk about industry best practices uh, for machine learning, some of the work that, um, that you do, um, it would be helpful to ensure we're actually talking about the same thing. Um, so I'd like to see it. I don't know if we're close to it at the moment. Now, if we could shift to what criteria qualifies entry in the governance process, many firms highlighted materiality as the key driver in deciding the extent of monitoring, validation, and governance. And for those listening, it may be helpful to explain that materiality is typically assessed across multiple dimensions, such as financial impact, the use case objective, and consideration of any impacted party. Uh, Rachel, what surprised you here about the survey responses uh, specifically regarding the criteria for governance and the concept of materiality? Do you think this is something that should be more standardized? I agree that materiality is absolutely critical in terms of um, considering model governance. If you've got a large number of models in an institution, um, and if you've got a governance process that's going to invest in, in your models and want to spend time uh, where it's going to give most benefit, of course, you have to consider the materiality of those models. I think when we talk about materiality, you've got to think about what risk does that model pose if it goes wrong? And that might be around both what the model is used for and how it's used. So if we've got a model that's doing automated acceptance of, of loan applications, versus having a human in the loop checking every single output the model makes, I'd see that impacts the materiality. As soon as you've got the human in the loop adding that judgment call, it is less material because you've got somebody performing some checks there. In terms of should it be standardized, I think that's for every, every institution has to define for themselves uh, what, is, what is most material for that institution. But I do think you need to consider, certainly we've found with machine learning coming in, becoming more widespread, we've found that you get models in new areas of the business. And so exactly as you mentioned, Dennis, you need to be a little more open-minded about what risks you're considering. Suddenly, perhaps it's not just financial risk and risk of a customer defaulting. Suddenly, maybe you've got a model in, in 
operations or in HR that might not really carry any financial risk, but you've got to think about a conduct risk side and the impact on customers or colleagues as part of that model. Thanks, Rachel. I actually fully agree with what you're saying in terms of being hopeful that a basic common definition is something that is agreed on. But I'm also a little bit, I guess, realistic in the sense that I don't think that we are there yet. But it is a very important discussion that we're having about definitions. And it's one that we just seem to come back to every time we discuss new survey results. But it ties also really well with one of the key questions that we had on the survey. And that is what model governance framework firms have in place for machine learning models. And what came through in the survey results is that most firms, 36% actually, use their existing model risk governance framework for machine learning models. And what these firms indicated, it's very much with what you said earlier today, that for them, the framework covers all types of model for the model lifecycle purpose. It makes no differentiation between machine learning and non-machine learning models. And that's why in many cases, firms responded saying that they did not think they needed a definition of machine learning. However, something else that we also saw in the results, as you know, is that there were several firms that were moving towards an enhancement to their existing framework. That is, for those listening, leveraging the existing risk management framework, but taking in some specific considerations for machine learning models. And in fact, by the time we surveyed these firms, 15% had developed an enhancement and 29% were in the process of developing an enhancement. A lot of this is very regional, um, very region specific in terms of how the responses um, are distributed. But Rachel, I want to get your impressions on the results. And especially when we think about how Europe and American firms, European and American firms, they typically, at least on the results, seem to be favoring using their existing model risk management framework at a noticeably higher level than in other parts of the world. I'm not sure why it would differ in different parts of the world. I'm sure there are reasons. Um, But I certainly noted that the bulk of firms were saying, we're either using our existing framework or we're enhancing our existing framework rather than building something new for machine learning models. And if you've already got a strong model governance framework, my feeling is that's exactly the right thing to do. Machine learning models are still models. So as part of my role, I perform technical reviews of models. And a lot of the same questions come up for machine learning models as they do for traditional models. You want to make sure you've got a robust build sample, that you're using the right kind of um, algorithm um, for the model, for what you want to achieve. You want to look at the accuracy of the model and the accuracy on, on different segments of the population. So they are still models. And the bulk of the, the principles of governance um, still apply. Then you've got to think about what might be different and why you, you might want to um, enhance your framework or see if it caters for these, these differences about machine learning models compared to what I'd call the traditional models. I'd say there's, there's four key differences um, in my mind between your, your governance for machine learning. One is that your models may be, be self-updating. I mentioned this earlier in the definition. If you've got a model that's being regularly retrained once a week, but you've got a governance process that says before you make any changes to the model, you've got to undergo this governance, 
what do you do in that situation? Are you going to say the model has to remain static? You can use the machine learning techniques, but the model must remain static until it can go through the, the full governance review? Or do you say, can we have a more agile process here? Can we put some boundaries around that model retraining and saying, actually, as long as your model stays within set bounds with set performance and a number of checks on it, actually go ahead and retrain your model and we'll have some um, some simple governance piece to cover that. Or actually, we've, we've covered that in the, the initial sign-off. The second piece that I mentioned was I saw in the definition of machine learning models is the fact they can be very opaque. So do you need to consider the explainability of models and explainability techniques? Is that sufficiently covered in the, in the existing governance framework? Then we mentioned that new areas might be starting to, to use models. Suddenly you find models in areas you, you've never considered them before. Do you need to consider the, the scope of that governance framework and if it should apply to those new models? Or actually, if they're just not material enough um, to, to be concerned about from a, from a risk perspective. And then I'd say the final area where machine learning models need a bit more consideration is the area of data ethics. Such a hot topic in uh, machine learning at the moment. I, I think it's relevant to traditional models, um, but it, it gets a lot more focus uh, with machine learning. So has data ethics been, been brought into that governance process as well? I like the way you've put those four key differences. And you actually just tied it to what I was going to ask you next, which is another question in our survey was around the controls in place for mitigating against bias and discrimination in machine learning models. The main takeaway is that overall firms rely on several control processes to mitigate against bias and discrimination of machine learning models. For those listening, firms were able to select more than one option. And what their answers indicated was that the controls were very much dependent on the use case. We also, once again, saw distinct regional differences. And in our conversations and the writing of the report, what we saw is that these were often very much linked to existing non-discrimination and data protection laws. So what I'll quickly do is mention the top three most chosen controls on our report. And these were auditing, testing, and controls at 71% having a code of ethics defined at institution level at 50% and excluding sensitive attributes from the beginning, which meant not including these as part of the feature analysis selection and engineering process at 48%. So Rachel, I want to get your views on the results. Do you find these surprising? And also given your experience from the technical perspective, are these methods highlighted here the right ones? The responses are spread across companies generally having strong controls, having a code of ethics and ensuring that ethical position is well understood, and also the treatment of sensitive attributes. I was surprised that the treatment of sensitive attributes wasn't higher on the list, actually. So there I'm thinking attributes like um, gender and age and race, kind of personal attributes. I suspect that's actually being considered in all institutions, but perhaps it's not come out in the survey. So let's pick up on that point about sensitive attributes. And for those who may not be familiar with the concept, sensitive attributes relate to protected or sensitive features such as uh, race, gender, disability, or religion uh, that could create unjust or harmful outcomes when used in a model. 
So our findings indicate that the practice of excluding sensitive attributes from the beginning and not including them as part of the feature analysis, selection, and engineering process varies significantly by region. And this isn't all that surprising, given that there is great debate as to whether firms should exclude sensitive attributes in models. This idea of fairness through unawareness, however, is controversial because even if a particular attribute is not present in the data, combinations of other attributes can act as a proxy. As one executive from the Asia-Pacific region told us, by excluding sensitive attributes from a model, you may inadvertently allow unfair bias into it, though you are unaware of it. Rachel, what are your views on sensitive attributes? Is this one of those topics that is more use case related? I think it is use case related in that it's particularly going to apply to customer facing models. It's also a hugely important topic at the moment. Data ethics and the use of customer data is a big thing right now. I feel there's a particular risk coming with use of transactional data. Banks, financial institutions have huge amounts of transactional data. So is there a risk in there? You build a model on that transactional data and inadvertently you're picking out customers who've got a probability of being one gender or another or one age or another or one race. I'm not saying that would be done deliberately, certainly not, but exactly as you say, could that be pulled out by proxy by a model and result in institutions not treating customers fairly um, or biasing on those attributes and not knowing about it? So I think proactive checking for bias is really going to come to the fore um, using those sensitive attributes to check that models are treating customers fairly. So to do that, you're going to have to have access to that data. You're going to have to have access to sensitive attributes about your customers, about their gender and their age and any other metrics you, you need to consider. And then not to feed those into the model, they should be excluded from the model development, but to use them for analysis afterwards and to see how the model is behaving on those different groups. It's a particular pertinent topic for machine learning, but I think it might come in for some of the more what I've termed traditional models as well. So operational scorecards, perhaps built on logistic regression. If we're going to be testing our new machine learning models, I suspect the question's going to come up there as well. Absolutely. This is a very interesting topic. So thank you so much for all your insightful comments. I'm sure our audience really appreciates it. Rachel, I also want to get your views and explainability. And these came through on a different part of our survey where we asked what model validation techniques are used to assess machine learning model robustness. Once again, a common point that was raised was that each technique had its own limitations and its usefulness really depended on the business application, the team that was using it, and the complexity of the model. The most common validation methods that came on that question were in-sample, out-of-sample testing, followed closely by data quality validation and outcome monitoring against a benchmark. However, I myself thought that explainability would rank higher within these answers. It was 65% on our survey. What are your views on explainability tools being used for assessing machine learning model robustness? Explainability is actually something I, I care a huge amount about because if we're employing a model, I think we should understand what drives it. Um, but as we've seen, if you've got something like a, a big random forest or a gradient boosting tree or various other modeling methods, exactly as I mentioned earlier, those can be quite opaque. It can be quite hard to understand those drivers, but you do need to see what's driving that. There are various explainability techniques out there at the moment. There's SHAP, there's LIME, new 
methods coming online all the time, but I think that's going to be increasingly important. We can't have a black box that makes decisions on our behalf. We need to know what's going on inside that box. And even if we can't see every single interaction, we need to know what's driving those decisions. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. Your insights and comments have given us and our listeners a better understanding of the technical aspects around our survey results. And for those listening, the public version of our report is available for download on the IF website. I also want to quickly sum up three of the main elements Rachel highlighted that I found particularly interesting. Firstly, is Rachel's point on how financial institutions are already plenty model heavy and the implications that has on their use of machine learning. Secondly, I like the practical way in which you, Rachel, described the differences between machine learning and non-machine learning models. Then being self-updating, the models being more opaque, then being able to apply them in new areas and the need to consider more seriously issues around data ethics. Finally, I want to end with your prediction about sensitive attributes becoming more important in the context of machine learning. I agree with your view that this is going to be more important in the future, in particular to financial institutions. I hope we see more proactive checks for bias. So thank you, Rachel, once again for joining us. Great. Thank you. Looking ahead on FRT, a few things I want to highlight. We'll look at connectivity between some of the new payment initiatives around the world, speaking with Terry Angelos, Visa's global head of fintech, on how Visa is working to link some of those localized domestic initiatives together internationally. We'll discuss the emerging world of central bank digital currencies with Joanna Leibek Lilja of Nordia, and we'll talk anti money laundering and financial crime with Adrian Delacaz of Unicredit. Thank you for listening in. Wish you all a good start to 2021. Stay safe and join us again for those upcoming episodes. I'm Natalia Bailey. Thanks for joining us on FRT. 